Bellevue Residential College at the National University of Singapore. Each week during the semester, I'll be sharing some stories and tips as we explore the art of overcoming adversity, dancing with diversity in university and beyond. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, today's episode is talking about how to handle conflicts. Last episode, we talked about the storming stage, which is perhaps for some of you not very pleasant, but certainly not an uncommon stage of team development. If you're looking for specific strategies on handling conflict in your team, I hope that today's podcast episode on the Thomas Kilman model would be useful for you. Conflict. What is a definition of conflict? I found one. It says, Conflict is a serious disagreement between people, organizations, or countries with opposing opinions. I think it sounds quite neutral, but it is the value that we give or the meaning that we give behind opposing opinions. Like, is opposing opinions necessarily a bad thing? And most people like to get along. So this definition may seem quite negative to some years and it makes conflict something that people shy away from. But I really do think that conflict can have its positive aspect but because it is through conflict that things really emerge out into the open. It is a way of uncovering what lies beneath. You know, sometimes people may seem to get along but do they really? And conflict is a way of really uncovering that and being able to really look at people's opinions, their stance, their values, and then we can really know where everyone stands and better understand each other. If you remember, we had this exercise done in our workplace readiness class where I stood in the middle of the room. And I said to all of you, you know, in, in the class, I said, let's say I represent conflict. Can you move? to a part of the room to indicate how comfortable you are with conflict. The closer you stand to me, it means that you are more comfortable with conflict. If you stand far away from me, it shows a greater discomfort that you have with conflict. It was so funny. I have like students just walking up to just stand right next to me. And there are some others who said, Well, they like to leave the room if they could because no distance in the room is far enough to indicate how uncomfortable they are with conflict. They get it. I mean, many of us, including myself at times, avoid conflict because we don't really know how to handle it best. Very few of us like doing something we're not good at, right? I mean, growing up when I was young, having a cold war is frequent. Like, what's a cold war? So let's say that someone has a quarrel with somebody else, then it will be followed by a period where we just ignore or don't talk to each other. And so this Cold War strategy, I carried it into adulthood. And the defining period for me, it came when I was dating someone and we were on a holiday. And I remember being really angry about something. And then I used this Cold War method, which I have been using since I was young because it was something that, you know, I grew up with. Of course, that's what I did because I thought that it was normal to have Cold War. 
But this person I was dating, he told me that if I continued doing that instead of communicating with him, that the relationship was over. And that was really a very key moment for me because it was such a good lesson for me to know that not speaking up and just avoiding the issue is not a healthy strategy. And thank goodness, since then, I've learned quite a few other strategies for conflict management, some of which I'll share with you today. Just like in my previous example, I think we all have our preferred ways of handling conflict based on our past experiences or conditioning or cultural conditioning. But actually, what we have learned before may not be the most effective way of handling a given conflict situation. So here's where I want to bring to you the Thomas Kilman model, because I think it will help you to set an intention for which cause of action to employ for different types of conflict scenarios, so that you're a lot more adaptable when you are faced with different conflict scenarios. Now, the Thomas Kilman model, it comprises of two different exits or dimensions. One axis measures the level of assertiveness, while the other axis indicates scale of cooperativeness. Now, if you find that my explanation here is not so clear in showing you how the scale looks like, you can always Google the Thomas Kilman model. So I was talking about two different axes, right? So one axis was on assertiveness. Now, assertiveness is the degree to which you satisfy your own interest, right? Because in a conflict, you are managing two different conflicting or seem to be conflicting sets of interest, your own and another party. So the other axis is cooperativeness. Now, cooperativeness is the degree to which you try to satisfy the other person's concerns. Along the two dimensions, there are five conflict handling modes that can represent a person's behavior in conflict situations. So these five modes are the modes of avoiding, accommodating, competing, collaborating, and compromising. So I'll talk about the first mode first, which is avoiding. Now, when a person exhibits low levels of cooperation or assertiveness during a conflict, now it shows that this person does not pursue his own interest, but then neither does he or she try to satisfy that of the other party. He or she is just not dealing with the conflict. So what this looks like is that this person is sidestepping an issue or simply withdrawing from engagement. Or it, it could look like someone not turning up for a meeting when you wanted to sort out a few things. Now, avoiding as a strategy is not necessarily a bad thing. And it can even be a good strategy to employ temporarily when you don't have time that you know you fully need to resolve the issue. Or sometimes people also take on this avoidance strategy when they don't consider the other party important to him or her. Perhaps it's a one-off interaction. So conflict avoidance could be something that is suitable to employ in that situation. Now, what I'm also saying is that avoidance is a temporary measure when it comes down to conflict with people you do care about. You probably can avoid a person if you think it's a once-off interaction, but not when it's going to be a person who you will regularly interact with. At some point, you cannot keep avoiding the conflict situation. Avoiding a problem can be good only if you use 
it to give you space to make a better decision or allowing the other party to calm down until a time when it's easier to hear each other out. But conflict avoidance may not necessarily be the mode that you regularly want to employ. And here, I want to share with you four other modes. The second mode is the accommodating mode. Now, when a person exhibits high levels of cooperation, but low levels of assertiveness during the conflict, which means that this person does not pursue his or her own interest, but tries to satisfy that of the other party. Now, this is the accommodation mode. So what might this look like? Okay, so here I really want to give a shout out to my husband. Uh, Jason really loves eating pork, right? But unfortunately, I was brought up with the belief that pork is to be avoided. So my husband, early on in our marriage, he accommodates to me by agreeing not to have pork in the house, right? So in this way, even though he loves pork, he's not able to pursue his own interests in our house. But of course, he can eat pork at any time else um, other than our house. But so he accommodates to me, meaning he doesn't pursue his own interest, but he tries to satisfy that of mine. So this is really the accommodating mode. So thank you, honey. Next, you can also employ the competing mode. Here, when a person exhibits low levels of cooperation, but high levels of assertiveness during a conflict, it shows that this person is pursuing his or her own interest at the expense of the other person. Now, competing is a win-lose strategy. I mean, it does sound quite selfish, but when would it be most appropriate? It could be seen as fair or reasonable to employ the competing mode when there is an emergency situation or when you're implementing a change or a quick decisive action is needed. Next, the collaborating mode. Now, when both parties try to find a win-win solution which satisfies both persons' concerns, this mode is called collaborating. Now, obviously, this is the golden outcome. All parties walk away from the conflict happy, right? When collaborating, what you need to do is you pick the issue apart. You also need to be creative in coming out with out-of-the-box solutions so that you're not locked into obviously unsatisfactory outcomes. But collaboration does take time and effort, and it's usually used and most useful when conditions like that are met, when there is time to sort things out, and when both parties are willing to put in effort to make sure that all parties' concerns are met. Next is compromising. Now, when you're at neither extreme in your assertiveness and cooperativeness levels, then you're in the middle ground. You might be at the position where you're looking at both sides of a problem. And this means that you're practicing the compromising mode. So, for example, um, a few weeks ago, it was Chinese New Year's Eve and all workplace readiness classes are cancelled. Now, some lecturers wanted to keep the sports element during the makeup lesson to be done in week 7 or recess week. Other lecturers wanted to replace the lesson with an online version that students can do before the next lesson. Now, in the end, like all of us have different interests, right? So some of us thought, okay, no, we must have the sports element. 
some of the lecturers thought, you know, maybe the sports element is not as crucial. Maybe it's also okay to have an online version. And then some lecturers also felt like doing it in week seven or recess week might take away time that students need to do their own um, preparation for their midterms. So we had a kind of a conflict situation, right? We all have different interests that we put forth. But in the end, we decided to combine lessons for two weeks. And we arrived at this mutually acceptable solution. And that partially satisfies all parties' concerns. We are not able to carry out the full sports lesson, as some lecturers might prefer. But still, the sports element of the lesson, we're doing dodgeball, can remain and are incorporated into the next week's lesson. So in this scenario, all the lecturers were all in the middle ground in terms of our assertiveness and cooperation to reach something that kind of may not fully satisfy our interests, but I think it is a good middle ground. So I shared five modes that you can employ when you're in a conflict situation, avoiding, accommodating, competing, collaborating, and compromising. And there's really no one best conflict handling mode because it all depends on the group or the person or the organizational situation that you find yourself in. I mean, it's true, some of us are just more comfortable with one mode and we use this one mode more than others. Either it could be because we are used to it or it just suits our temperament better. But I hope that knowing all the five modes give you a lot more flexibility and allow you to be more conscious about your choices and intentional about how to approach a conflict. Now for me personally, two concepts that are useful to me when I handle or when I'm part of a conflict, um, I would like to share these two concepts with you. Now, I used to be a sociology student, so the concept of agency, which I learned, was such an important one for me. Now, agency is defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choices. So although in a conflict situation, I may try to influence or convince or state my case to another person in a conflict, but at the end of the day, I also know that the other party he or she has the right to make his or her own choices, and I accept that. Now, does it mean that anyone can just do anything to me and I have to take it? Now, this is where the concept of boundaries come in, right? So the first concept is the concept of agency. A second concept, the concept of boundary. Boundaries, for me, is what I'm willing to allow. So it's not so much about controlling the other party or what he or she can or cannot do, but it is also about me and deciding what actions to take given how the other party acts. Let's give a workplace example. Maybe I have a colleague who's always taking credit for my work. From the last semester, you know, we covered the concept of emotional intelligence, right? So a good first step is always to understand where this colleague is coming from. Why is he or she always feeling the need to pass off other people's work as his own work? And why is he reluctant to give other people the credit they deserve? And what are his or her fears? So we covered emotional intelligence last semester. So the first thing to do in any conflict situation is also to understand where the other party is coming from. And so in this example that I gave, this fictional example that I gave, then what's next? 
Let's say I have talked and listened to my colleague and stated my case that I feel very frustrated when my work is not given due credit. And what if he still does it? So now we're in a conflict situation, right? So what do I do? So remember, my colleague has agency. He can do what he wants. But I also have boundaries. I can decide what I want to do given an action that my colleague decides to take. So first, these two concepts, how do I apply it? First, I recognize the agency that my colleague has in acting how he or she wants to. And that's okay. But I also need to have my own boundaries about what is acceptable to me. For example, if my colleague continues taking credit for other people's work, what should I do? So he can do what he wants, right? But what should I do? That's the issue about boundaries. It is about the action that I decide to do, the execution of my own actions to bring about a result that I want. What could I do? So could I speak out at the next meeting? Should I go to my boss? Now, you need to take action when your boundaries has been trespassed. Now, this actually takes a lot of courage. Now, it's a kind of acceptance or acknowledgement at least about how things are. It's not always about how things should be. Now, we always want the other party to change in a conflict situation because it's easier than taking actions ourselves. Like in this case, maybe I would really wish for my colleague to change because it's easier than me having the courage to have to take a difficult step in addressing the situation. But because I have boundaries, I need to have courage to act given how the other party is acting. In many situations, if you believe in the concept of agency, people will act how they want to act. So even if you're able to make them do something they don't want to, it breeds resentment and it's not going to help long-term relationships. So the onus is really on you, on us, to follow through when our boundaries are crossed. Now, when we shift our boundaries, when what is not okay to us, we allow it to happen without speaking up and we accommodate all the time especially when it's against our personal values. This becomes a slippery slope towards deep unhappiness and a struggle with your own dignity. So just now I mentioned about a workplace example. What about a more personal example? So I have one here where I, I know a couple where the guy always shouts at his female partner, even in public. Now she did talk to him about it privately the first few times he did it because she told him that she felt really embarrassed that he always shouts at her in front of other people. And then she told me that he was very apologetic about it but he couldn't help it because he felt very frustrated. So she understood. She was like, okay, I understand that you're feeling frustrated and thank you for apologizing. But then he did it again. And the next time he did it, she kept quiet, even though it's not okay to her. So when your boundaries are being transgressed and you don't do anything ab about it, then you are not able to get the result that you want. The concept of agency means that the other party can do whatever he wants. But the concept of boundary also means that you need to do whatever you need in order to bring about an outcome or a result that you would like. And so because you know she kept quiet, the next time that he shouts at her in public, 
So he continues doing it because, because he has agency too. But she needs to keep reinforcing her boundaries about what is acceptable and to speak up when her boundaries are being transgressed. And so because she doesn't speak up, it becomes a habit and a pattern. And that can only be stopped if one party reinforces the boundary because the other party has an agency. Now, complaining to other people about a person's behavior is not an option in this conflict situation because, you know, you can complain, like, for example, you can, uh, this, this friend of mine can share her frustrations with me, but because I'm not the ones involved in the conflict, it's between her and her partner. So there needs to be a direct communication between her and her partner. But sometimes I know we're so afraid of offending people that we don't have our own back and we're not even willing to speak up when our own boundaries are being transgressed. But that's why I shared with you that it really needs courage when we are in a conflict situation. In any type of conflict, no matter what mode of resolution or instrument you used, it's important to be conscious about why you're being assertive or why you're not being assertive why you're being cooperative or why you're not being cooperative. Right? So it's not always a matter of habit for me, but it's really a matter of being intentional and knowing why you're employing a different method. Have you defined your own interest or do you always have interest defined by others? I mean, I'm sometimes in negotiations and the other party keeps telling me why this solution is so good for me. But it's okay sometimes to take a step back to pause and evaluate if it's really in my interest to cooperate or is it really in my interest to be more assertive. Many of us have been brought up to be nice, to play along and resolving conflicts do take courage. And to be honest, courage doesn't always feel good. But I feel that our lesson here on earth is not just to be happy all the time, but it's also about growing and evolving and learning how to handle difficult situations when they come along. I hope that the next time conflict comes to you, because not all of us goes looking for conflict, I hope that you have the tools now to be a little bit more comfortable with learning how to handle conflict. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the next stage of team development, because if you're able to handle the conflicts or the storming stage, it will allow you to progress on to the next stage of norming. So have a beautiful week ahead and we'll talk soon. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a 5-star rating or a review. It helps us to increase our reach on iTunes so that more people know about what we do here at our VRC.